Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good? Everybody awake? All right, let's enjoy the air conditioning. Okay, so I am Mike. I am your pastor here for Family and Student Ministries, and we're going to kick off this road trip. So our beloved staff just returned from a road trip up the coast, and I got to tell you, it was awesome. We went to the big city of Eureka, California, and had a great time along the way. But in the midst of all the fun, I have to tell you, what was interesting was that through the whole journey, it was hard not to notice, especially on the way home, coming down 101, that our state is kind of on fire right now. So it's something to, to keep in prayer and to think about. Um, when we were driving past Ukiah, we could actually see the flames from the roadside. So um, I think maybe sometimes that's like life, where we can get preoccupied instead of seeing all the beauty and all the great things that are around us, sometimes we get focused on the negative and we see all the destruction that's going on in our lives and um, we start to fixate on our fears and our anxieties instead of the plan that God might have for us. And so I think even sometimes those of us who call ourselves Christians, we can sort of slide into this practical atheism where we believe in God, but in a sense, we're not really living that way. We kind of live as if he doesn't exist. And maybe we start to think, well, God, I, you know, I'm glad you're there. But uh, if something big comes along, I'll be in touch. But, but for right now, you know, we're good. No worries. And I think that's, that's sort of where we go sometimes. Um, so I think maybe also for us that we have this sort of maybe from our childhood, we have this misconception that God is vengeful and angry and and he wants to punish us because we're not living good lives and so we start to distrust everything and I know I'm kind of being a Debbie Downer here this morning but I just want us to focus on the fact and if you could take out your outlines light blue sheet of paper that it is in this world this world with all of the despair and all of the anxiety and fighting it's in this world that God still calls us to trust Him absolutely. So we're talking about absolute trust today. That's not the same thing as blind faith. Absolute trust functions in reality and says, yes, the world is hard. Things are difficult. Life is not perfect. God never promised us that it would be. But we're still called to trust Him absolutely. The Bible teaches us that the world's tragedies can never change the plans or diminish the power of an almighty God. And it's important for us to remember that. In fact, sometimes we learn in life that it is in our circumstances that are so difficult that we must choose the way of trust. And now more than ever, we have to face this challenge. As life gets more and more difficult, we must face the challenge to trust God no matter what our circumstances. A foundational truth in the Old Testament, if you spend any time reading it, you kind of see this, that God creates, God makes plans, God calls people to fulfill those plans, and that God can be trusted, and ultimately, God saves and delivers. It was true then, and it's true now. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be learning some important truths from the Hebrews road trip as recorded in the book of Exodus. So today, let's start by checking in with our old friend Moses. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Take a look. One day, 
Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Okay, let's catch up. Let's see what's been going on. So the people of Israel, the Hebrews, they have been in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. So God raises up a deliverer. His name is Moses, and he was a Hebrew, just like those who were slaves. But because of God's sovereignty, he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He was a person that God had called aside and said, you're going to be my deliverer. Unfortunately, Moses thought he was going to do it his own way. So Moses is out one day and he sees an Egyptian guard abusing some Hebrew slaves. And so what Moses does is he kills the guy and then he buries him in the sand. So one day, a little bit later, he's walking along and he sees two Hebrews arguing and fighting. And Moses says, hey, break it up, break it up. You're not supposed to be fighting with each other. And, and they respond by saying, hey, who made you our judge, man? What are you going to do, kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And Moses is like, and he runs away. Moses runs away, far away to the backside of the desert. He meets up with a tribe of Midianites. They are sheep herders. And Jethro is their priest. So Moses becomes a part of their tribe, becomes a part of Jethro's family. And one day, he's out in the middle of the desert, and he's apparently at this point in his life kind of forgotten about God and all those things. And then God shows up and changes Moses' world. He calls him one more time. But before he does, Moses had to face that same misconception that sometimes we face, which is that, hey, God's angry at you. God doesn't want to use you. You better avoid God. And that's what Moses has been doing. God had called him to be a deliverer, but he blew it. He tried to do it his own way. So now he's following a bunch of sheep around in this desert oven with no purpose. And while all this is going on, the people of Israel had another 40 years of slavery that they had to deal with. Where's the mercy of God in all of this? Where's God's love? I think sometimes we ask ourselves that question too. We look at the world around us. We look at the tragedy and the difficulty in our own lives and we think, God, you know, where are you? God has to call Moses to this challenge just like he has to call us to a challenge. He has to teach us to trust him absolutely because he is reliable. And so today, the very first thing that we're going to learn from Moses, and please take out your light blue outline, write this down. Absolute trust in God is born from adversity. Absolute trust in God is born from adversity. I don't think I have to share with any person in this room that sometimes life can be difficult. 
And when life presents challenges to us, we're kind of taught to be self-reliant and that we need to pick ourselves up and deal with our problems. That's what Moses did. He tried to do things his way. And his self-sufficiency and his influence, in his mind, he thought, hey, that's enough. Man, I was raised in the courts of Pharaoh. I had the best training. I had a great education. I had money. Everything is good. And on top of it all, he had the calling of God on his life. But his problem was that he attempted to deliver the people of Israel by his own power, by his own anger, in fact, because he was so angry at what was happening. But God had other plans. Maybe Moses thought, hey, I'll just, I'll just kick off God's plan a little bit. I'll, just, I'll get it forced into motion by killing this Egyptian. Because he thought, well, the situation's so urgent. But by doing that, by trying to take it into his own plan- hands, what happened was he kind of postponed God's plans for about 40 years. He had to learn to trust God all over again. So he spent all that time in the desert looking at sand and looking at sheep. And really, he brought this upon himself. Some of us are kind of walking around in our own world, figuratively speaking, we're looking at sand and sheep too. We're not where God would have us, but we're so caught up in our routine that we just continue to do the things that we're doing without really looking for God's plans in our lives. And a lot of times, I know in my life, the situation is kind of of my own doing just like Moses. You know, what, what have we done to put ourselves in places where we feel so hopeless? And what's worse is that when we're in those situations, then we start to think, where's God? Why doesn't He care? Or maybe He can save me, but He won't save me because I messed up so much. Listen, let me assure you that you are in very good company. If you read through the Bible from beginning to end, you'll find that the only perfect person mentioned is Jesus. Everybody else that God uses is very imperfect and flawed and made lots of mistakes. Just remember, God chooses to use us though we all fail. God chooses to use us though we fail. Sometimes we have a challenge in our lives and we stumble and we fall and then we realize we're falling at God's feet and we look up and we realize I've got to trust God and stop trusting myself. A lot of times it's just life. Sometimes it is our choices. But either way, the question is, how do we respond after we fail? What do we do next? Do we let ourselves get stuck like Moses did in the desert or... Do we acknowledge our mistakes, realize that God forgives us, and move on? Let's get back to the scripture. So, in this story of Moses being recalled, strange things are afoot. First of all, a high-ranking official of Egypt, Moses, is wandering around a desert talking to himself and a bunch of sheep. Okay, Do you think you're in a place that you don't deserve in life? Moses can relate to that. All right, next, a bush is burning, but it is not consumed. Now, I don't know if Moses was thinking, well, you know what? I mean, kind of everything burns out here, so what's the big deal? But as he watches it, it doesn't burn up. And so then he realizes, okay, maybe I need to go take a closer look at this. 
But I think in our lives, sometimes we're like that too. We're waiting for God to show us a burning bush. We're waiting for God to show us some kind of miracle when the real miracle is that His Spirit lives inside of us and we've been born a second time through His strength and power. Maybe that's the real miracle we need to be looking at rather than waiting for something that's spectacular. Then a voice comes out of the bush. Now, let's be fair to Moses. God did say his name twice, maybe because the first time Moses figured he was just hearing things. I don't know. If you're wandering around the desert 40 years, you know, looking at the south end of a hundred sheep, maybe that's what you're thinking too. Like, okay, God, all right, I got your, you got my attention. So let's move on in the scripture. Exodus 3, 5 through 10. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians have used them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So the first thing, God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I'd probably be thinking, I'm not taking my shoes off. That sand is hot. That's like, you know, you ever been to Palm Springs and you go to that water park and you forget your water shoes and you step on that cement? Yeah. He's probably thinking, wow, I don't know, God. But then again, he thinks, well, I've never heard a voice speak to me out of a burning bush before, so we'll give it a try. Then the voice says, I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does this do? Why does God say this? Because this reminds Moses of his past. He's reminding Moses, you are an Israelite. You are a Hebrew. This is who you are. And it reminds Moses of the pain of his past, which is what caused him to be in the desert in the first place. I think when God is trying to teach us to trust, which is not an easy lesson, I think what happens is very often he reminds us of our pain because God knows that we must deal with our pain before we can move to the next level. We've got to deal with it or else we're constantly going to be getting bogged down looking at the past. So while it seems harsh that God is reminding him of this, what's happening is actually God is preparing him for his future by letting him know, look, this is who you are, you're forgiven, move on. Move on from the mistakes you made. We must trust God completely in order to accomplish the next step in his plan. So if you're thinking, Mike, you don't know, I've made some pretty serious mistakes Yes, I do know. Welcome to the club. We all make serious mistakes. Fortunately, God uses imperfect people. So then Moses hides his face. I'm afraid to look at you, God. After all, as far as we know, 
the two haven't spoken in about 40 years, right? God and Moses, not exactly on the best of terms here, but when God finally has Moses' undivided attention and Moses puts himself in a place of utter humility, then God unrolled the real plans of what was coming next for delivering the Israelites. This reminds us that absolute trust in God eliminates the notion that we are sufficient in ourselves for anything. And it teaches us that we have received our life from another. This is a very countercultural thought. If you ever are online on any social media and somebody makes a comment that says, oh, thank God, immediately the people start lining up to say, don't thank God. Don't thank some imaginary fairy in the sky. This person did it himself by his own power. And that's our nature as humans. It's hard for us to give credit to God. We want to take credit ourselves because we've kind of been conditioned to own our strengths and blame our weaknesses on other people. But that's not the way of God. God is teaching us that we can't rely on our own sufficiency. We have to rely on Him. The first summer road trip that I took as a youth minister in California, way, way back, long ago, in a time called the 90s. And I took a group of kids, I know, right? I took a group of kids, high school kids, from San Diego out over here near Bass Lake to a camp called Summit Adventure. And Summit Adventure was a week-long backpacking trip. And I mean, this camp was brutal because it was still hot when we were down at the base. It's June, and we're hiking, and this isn't like, oh, you've got this comfortable camping area, and you've got showers, and you've got people cooking for No. This was you're carrying everything around in a backpack that weighs about 50 pounds, and you're taking this hiking journey. It was brutal. And it, even as we climbed and climbed, this is still in June, we even got up to snow level. All right? There's very little food and even less toilet paper, and I'm not joking about that. It was, it was roughing it. And, and so... We got to a point in the journey where we were doing some rock climbing, and then we had to do our rappelling. Now, if you've ever gone rappelling, essentially you're in a harness, and you have to walk back over the side of the cliff. And you don't, your, your tendency is, oh, I want to hang on to the rock because I feel safer, but that's not what you have to do because then you will brush against the rock. You have to sit back in the harness and put your feet up against the face of the rock and start climbing down. If you're around in the 60s, you know Batman did this all the time <laughs> on buildings, on buildings. Well, we were there and, and we were looking down this face. It was 150 feet down. And then there was about a 12-foot ledge where, the, where we would stop, where the rappel ended. And then there was about another 150-foot drop. So we're talking 200 feet, 300 feet up in the air. I almost messed up on my math. Um, and, you know, this is, this is way up there, Okay. The, the rock climbing that we do on the summer camp that we go to here, it's maybe 50 feet. This is 300 feet. This is like eye level with Godzilla. This is tall. And so, and so we're there, and the kids are kind of looking at me because none of us have ever done this before. And I'm like, I'll go first. Oh, man. Here's the hard part, okay? This is the actual cliff where we did it. This is not us because back in those days, they didn't have cameras. They just drew pictures. But... <laughs> 
But this is, this is the cliff. And so what you'll notice is that the rock is actually concave. So after you rappel down a little bit with your feet, suddenly there's nowhere to put your feet. And you're sitting in the harness, trusting it. And the wind blows and you start to spin around. <laughs> and you're looking at this spectacular view, but you're having to trust something absolutely. You can't rely on yourself because you are, unless you're Spider-Man, you do not have the capability to deal with these rocks. You've got to trust. And that is the same way with God. We are not sufficient in ourselves. We have to trust. So God says, Moses, take off your shoes. Now, why does he say take off your shoes? It's not because God has a dress code. That's otherwise we would be in trouble. But it's because shepherds made their own shoes. Shepherds made their own shoes out of the skins of animals. They made their shoes. So Moses is walking around in the desert, and all he's really got on is he's got his outer robe, he's got his staff, something to carry water in maybe, and he's got these shoes that he made. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, you're taking off those shoes because those shoes are something that you made, and there's not going to be any self-reliance this time around. You're not relying on your own strength, your own wisdom, your cleverness. No. That's the important lesson for Moses and for us. God was teaching him that at the next step in his journey, it wasn't going to happen if he trusted in himself. That's what got him kicked out of Egypt 40 years ago. That's why he was on the run. So he had to start thinking of what God had in mind, not what he was able to accomplish on his own. Moses had received his life and his calling from another. Not even his parents, not Pharaoh, not his Israelite ancestors. All his wisdom and education and training, all that that he received, that wasn't going to get the job done. The removal of the shoes was designed to show Moses who is really in control as not him. God's saying, you do not rely upon yourself anymore. The life of faith requires the removal of everything we trust more than God. Let me say it again. The life of faith requires the removal of everything we trust more than God. And that begins with the idea that we're sufficient for anything without Him. God helps us realize that it's not through our own skills or our cleverness or wisdom or training or giftedness. We can't use those things to control the outcome of what God has planned. God is sovereign over our lives. At church, you hear people say a lot, God has a plan for your life. And I believe that's true. God does have a plan for our lives. But I think sometimes we sort of confuse God's plan with our own plans. And so we say, God, I can take it from here. That leads us to our third point today, which is this. Absolute trust in God exposes the illusion of control. We have this illusion that we're in control of our lives. But if we're going to follow God's plan, God's got to be the one that's in control. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying we don't have free will. God gives us choices. He doesn't force us to do things. However, if we want to follow God's plan, then we have to trust everything more than God, and we have to give up that control. That is the challenge. I'm telling you, in my life, what I've learned 
is that, you know, as, as a person that's been serving God, hopefully for a long time, I, I find it easy to trust God with the big things, like some big life decision. It's easier to trust God in those times, but the day-to-day times, those decisions we tend not to bother God with. And I think one of the lies that we've bought into in our culture is that, you know what, I don't, I don't need to bother God with that. I'm not going to bother God with my little prayers. That's terrible theology. And let me explain why. Because when we think we can somehow bother God and take Him away from working on presumably some, you know, Excel spreadsheet or something like that, when we think we can take God away from that with our little problems... We've shrunk God down, and all God is is just like a really big human, but He's not. God is omni-everything, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and He's got the power to deal with our teeny tiny little problems in our own mind just as much as the big problems of the world, and it doesn't distract Him because He's God. So let's not shrink God. Let's stop trying to hold on to control and trust Him with it. So Moses admits, and it's kind of as a protest, that he alone is not sufficient. This is what he says in Exodus 3, 11 through 12. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Can you underline who am I both times? Because we're going to come back to that. God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Now, I know that I have prayed before, God, who, who the heck am I to be part of your plan, right? I'm just, I'm just a dude. I'm, who am I? And the problem with that thinking is that, yeah, there's a little bit of humility in there, which I think God appreciates our humility, but it's just a little bit of humility, and it's a lot more self-doubt. And I think that's what Moses was dealing with, was his self-doubt. Moses had imagined previously, I can do this all, I got it all under control. And then he learned, no, I don't. God knows otherwise also. And this shows us that in our lives, God will not force control. He'll ask us to give it up. But he doesn't force the control. Could he? Of course, he's omnipotent. But God wants us to build our trust muscle, to exercise that trust And that's why he allows us to make the choice. All right, let's move on and see what happens. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Will you circle those three I am's? Because earlier we saw Moses say twice, but who am I? Who am I? And then we see God say, I am. I'm the one who has the control. I believe that we're learning to trust God when we can finally acknowledge the illusion that we can control anything about the way we live out our purpose. In my life, when I'm willing to admit, you know what, I can be a control freak you know, maybe not in an OCD way or a micromanager way, but I, I want to make sure everything turns out just right. When we're willing to give that up, we realize God can move in and take control. 
but he wants us to release that control. He wants us to be able to say, I've tried to make life work out just as I've planned. So I think of my future and I think A, B, and C. And I think of what I want to do as a career. And I think X, Y, and Z. And I think this is what I want for a family. And all these different things that we so desperately try to control. And God steps in and says, you've got to let go of all of that. Now, it doesn't mean that the dreams you have might not have been given to you by God. They might be, and God might get you there. But if you try to do it on your own power, you're going to end up like Moses who tried to do a good thing. He tried to accomplish God's plan by leading the people away from Egypt, but his method to do it by force was not God's plan. God needed his power to be demonstrated. Sometimes we think we know the right course in our lives, but God knows better. I was thinking about this as we were going up the coast, so let me try to explain it another way. Let's take a look. everybody. It's Mike Mason here at the Point Cabrillo Lighthouse and it looks like we're here on Lighthouse Painting Day. So great. But it still reminded me of a story that I heard once a long time ago. Once during a particularly foggy storm, the captain of a ship looked off into the distance and he saw a faint light. So immediately he had his signalman send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Right away, a message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, this made the captain very angry. So he sent another message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Right away, the reply came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a sailor third class. Well, the captain was now furious. So he sent a third message. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. And that story kind of reminds me of how sometimes in our lives, when it seems particularly dark and foggy and we're not sure the way to go, sometimes we listen to other people's voices and they might be well-meaning or they might even be angry but ultimately we think that we know the best course for our lives. And what happens is we ignore the fact that there's a light off in the distance and that light is sending us a message for our own safety. And that message is, I know the best course for your life. But the problem is to us, we see that course and we think this is very counterintuitive to me. It's even countercultural or even absurd. I don't think I want to do this. But what's happening is that is coming from the light who is the light of the world. And so we can choose to absolutely trust that message, even if it seems odd to us, or we can choose to ignore it. But I think we do so at our own peril.
All right, let's bring it home. If absolute trust in the reliability of God can be learned, then we must learn it. We must learn it. The person with simple trust has a heart at peace from the deep seas of our troubled world. If we spend our time arguing with the lighthouse, we're going to end up on the rocks. Now, yes, it's true. I stand up here and say these things to you, and you can say, you don't know my life, Mike. You don't know where I am. Maybe you're angry at God for life's difficulties. First off, let me say that that's okay. Scripture is filled with people who get angry at God. God's not afraid of our anger, okay? We just need to listen, and He will allow us to vent, and then He will teach us who He is. Maybe you're worn out from trying to do life by yourself. Maybe you're thinking, my life is just numb. It's filled with lots of noise. Maybe you're addicted to some kind of substance, to some feelings, maybe to relationships, to emotions, because we don't want to face the loneliness of life's anxieties by ourselves. You might be in pain, and that pain might be of someone else's doing, but it might be of your own doing, and you need to remove your shoes and let God draw you to Himself in absolute trust. Or maybe you're just tired of earning and collecting and hoarding and spending Maybe you're tired of being afraid that you don't have enough stuff. I want to tell you this morning that God is the hope that you have for change. He's the only chance that's worth taking. The good news is that in this place, if you're ready to take that enormous challenge to trust God absolutely, you're in a good place to do it because you're surrounded by other people who are just regular, broken people. We just want to trust God. Maybe you're at a place in life where you're thinking, I want to give God one more go around. Like, I've, I feel like I've tried a relationship with God before, but then it just got crowded out by my busyness in my life. Listen, God is waiting. God is ready to do that. We have to take off our shoes of self-sufficiency, though. We have to say, God, it's going to be your way this time. And maybe you're just kind of standing on the edge of yourself. You're on the backside of the desert like Moses was. You've gone as far as you can go on your own, and it's even getting to a place of emergency. I want to challenge you to choose to trust God. Consider the claims of Christ and what He brings. Choose to release the self-sufficiency and the control. Gain some footing by running to God in trust. God prepared Moses by drawing him back, teaching him to trust, and then explaining to him, Moses, this is your destiny. You are going to be a shepherd leader. You might think, shepherd leader, what does that mean, Mike? Well, a shepherd is a servant. Maybe that's what we need to do. If you're feeling like, well, I, I want to follow God, but I feel like something's missing. Maybe what's happening is that God is trying to explain to you that you have a role to fulfill here at church. Some volunteer position, getting on a team. I just know that God prepared Moses, and He will prepare all of us too. So are you ready to say yes? Because it can be scary. It can almost definitely not look like what you have planned or you have in mind. But remember this, 
Last thing, write this down. Remember this, the lighthouse doesn't move. All right, let's pray for the offering together now. Father, this morning we are grateful for the absolute trust that we can have in you. But God, we struggle because we want to rely on our own sufficiency and our own control. So I pray, God, that you would convince us to take off our shoes and to stand on that holy ground with you. I pray this morning that you would now take and bless and use this offering. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.